Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. In uh, a warm, warm welcome online. I know we've got a number of people who are taking advantage of the, do you call it a long weekend if there's like a day in the middle? The, the potential long weekend, they're making it. Uh, a long weekend and are traveling around the country. I had a quick look on YouTube as we're in the service, and we have a, a bunch of people uh, streaming in. So, a warm welcome to you. Uh, or if you are currently out of reception and you are catching up on this at a later date, maybe you're using it. To, I know a number of people have told me that I'm great listening on road trips, which I take as a compliment, right? Because if, if I was boring, I would be dangerous listening on a road trip. So, I'm glad that it's not. John, I listen to you on a road trip, and I now have a large insurance claim, but it's it's, uh, no, we listened to it and it was good. So, uh, however, it's great that you're in the room or if you are listening to this at a later date, pray that it blesses you. But how are we doing? We're good, good. It's good. Hey, I want to get straight into it. Uh, you will know, because uh, we've been doing it for a while now, that we have been in a series for the last couple of months. I have been saying month, but it's, it's been, it's, it, you know, I think you can say month when it's like five weeks, maybe six weeks, but we're in like our seventh or eighth week, so you can't really say month. For the last couple of months, uh, we've been in a series called uh, A House of Prayer. Uh, and we've been looking at this idea of, of why do we pray? Really, we've been, we've been starting with the idea of, of what is prayer? Like, what, why is this a thing that we do? Why is this important? Why is this a, uh, an opportunity? And then we kind of have been looking at uh, not only why do we pray, but how do we pray? What does it actually look like practically to pray? If we feel like prayer is something that we want to do, if it's a good thing, how do we actively uh, step into that? Uh, and today, in fact, next, next week, uh, we'll be kind of rounding out this series, and, and I want to encourage you, it's weird to promote next week, this week, but I really do feel next week's going to be a, an important kind of hinge for us as we look at going from what is it to be a people who pray to what is it to be a people who embody our prayers. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you're in the room for, for next week. But as we approach that this week, kind of in our, our penultimate, does anyone love that word, penultimate? For a long time, I thought that penultimate meant like, extra ultimate, like the super ultimate, right? Because it feels like that. So I would use it the wrong way all the time. I'd be like, yeah, the penultimate. And people would be like, is there an, another one after it? I, and yeah, it took me a long time to realize. Penultimate means second to last in case you're, there you go, equipping you for life through faith in words you'll never really use. Uh, but uh, today is our, our penultimate uh, Sunday, our penultimate message in this, in this series. And so we've been looking at, you know, what is prayer? How do we pray? What is it to talk to God? Was it to talk with, uh, with God? And, and today uh, I, I want to look Look at what is it to hear from God? You know, I, I think it's, it's a danger that we end up in this place of thinking that our, our prayer life is just us listing kind of a laundry list of, of complaints or requests or magical wishes to, to God, but, but it's, it's more than that. Prayer is a space not only in which we talk, but in which we have the opportunity to, to listen. You know, and, and prayer, it's not, a, it's not a linear progression. What I mean is we have been working through kind of different ways uh, in which we can talk to God and then with God in the last couple of Sundays, but we never graduate from talking with God, right? We never graduate from having a conversation with God. There's no married couples out there who've been married for, for 50 years who are like, we just don't talk anymore. That's the secret to our happy marriage. I'm sure there are some married couples who say that. I'm just not saying that it's a good idea, right? 
It's, it's an option. If you don't talk about anything, you can't disagree. Well, no, that's not true. You can disagree about plenty of things without talking about them, right? Uh, all the married couples are like, yes, toilet seats. No words said, plenty of disagreements. But we've been looking at kind of what is not a, a progression, but, but a way in which we do learn to talk to God just like a child learns to talk. That, that, that we start in a place of speaking other people's words, that we can borrow a pair, that we're talking to God. And then we get, begin to, to pray our own words, that we say what's on our heart, that we move off the sheet music and, and into jazz, that we can begin to pray with our own words. But I think within all of us, there's a desire not just to, to talk to God, not just to talk with God, but to hear God's voice. But, but it raises all sorts of questions, Right? Like, what do we mean by, by God's voice? Like, does that mean, Jono, you say things and I have to do what you say because you are telling me what God says? Because that sounds kind of like spiritual manipulation, right? What, what does it mean? Some people, they, they say that they hear from God in these ways, and I've never experienced that. Is that because God doesn't love me as much or because I'm not as, as holy? Or I think I hear God, but, but I don't, how do I know if it's God and not me? Or a hundred other questions. When we talk about hearing God's voice, what I'm saying is that it brings to mind a lot of questions, doesn't it? And I want to start by saying that, that questions are good. Questions are a, a good thing to have, but I also want to be clear, questions do not mean that we hide or that it's too hard. We don't run away from our questions. We don't bury our heads in the sand because our desire to hear God is good. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to, to John chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 2 to 6. It, uh, it says this, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has bought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, I thank you for, for these moments together. God, in the room and, and people who might be joining us online, as we bring our intention, as we, bring this op as we grasp this opportunity to gather together and to hear from you. God, I pray that today it wouldn't just be my words, but as we speak about hearing from you, that we would hear from you. God, where it is just of me, would it fall to the ground? But where it is your word, where it is your encouragement, where it is something from you for us, would it land in our hearts? Would it take root? Would we be different? Would we be better? Would we be more assured of your love for us for having heard from you? Would you have your will here today? In Jesus' name, amen. So here in, in, in John chapter 10, Jesus is using familiar imagery for his, his audience. And I think as New Zealanders, we have like a running advantage against the rest of the world in that we, we I don't want to say everyone in the room is familiar with sheep, right? Because that would be a vast overstatement. Some of you are like, I've, I, I'm, I've never gotten more than like a, a car's distance away from sheep as we've been driving down the road. But we, we're all aware of sheep. I'm implying that the rest of the world is not, but just it's a, it's a fraught metaphor. Go with it, right? But, but we have an understanding of, we've seen sheep. I, let me put it this way. We know that sheep are stupid, right? If you've been around for sheep long enough, you've done that thing where you're like, hey, sheep, we're going to go through this gate. This gate is the way to your food and shelter and warmth, and it's going to be fantastic. Come this way, sheep, and then the sheep runs that way. Either you've done it or you've seen it be done or you've heard someone talk about it. We've got some sort of proximity to sheep. I say that because Jesus' audience, they knew sheep too. 
So we're, we're on the same page. We've got that going for us. And, and so Jesus is using this familiar imagery to his audience of a shepherd and their sheep. And, and Jesus is saying that all those who truly are his sheep, a word picture that he uses for his disciples, will know his voice and, and will follow it. See, what Jesus is saying is that for him, discipleship, following Jesus, is much more than just knowing a bunch of doctrine. It's much more than just listing off a bunch of ideas. It's much more than just ticking a a bunch of boxes, but it's an interactive, dynamic, living relationship. In in Luke 10, we read of Mary, one of Jesus' disciples, and it says that she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. This idea, to sit at the feet, it was an idiom, an an expression, a a way of of, of describing discipleship in the first century. And so it describes uh, Mary as sitting at the feet of Jesus, following Jesus. But what is she doing at his feet? She's listening. See, much more than just being like, oh, hey, here's a thing that happened. Luke 10 is describing to us, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is an example of someone who was following Jesus. She was a disciple who sat at his feet and listened to him. The implication is a disciple is one who is regularly found sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and listening. And, and this idea of prayer as listening to God, is, it's not actually original to Jesus. Jesus isn't like, hey, here's a brand new thing. Here's a brand new idea. He did that a whole bunch with a whole bunch of other things. But here he's saying, here is an established thing that as Jewish people, they have been doing for thousands of years. In fact, a central theme running all the way throughout Scripture that that Jesus, as he tends to, brings clarity and fulfillment to is this idea of hearing God. We've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks looking at and around Jesus' teachings in which he, he gives us the, the Lord's Prayer. Because if there's one prayer to have kind of in your back pocket, that's it, right? If there's only one prayer that you remember that you commit to memory as a prayer, a borrowed prayer that you can pray, the Lord's Prayer is the best one to do. It's got the most in it. It's the most bang for your buck. It's the most helpful, right? It's, uh, it's the central way of prayer in the way of Jesus. It's Jesus' prayer. That's why I've been focusing on it. But there's another really interesting prayer that, that Jesus refers to a whole bunch in his ministry and that Jesus would have grown up praying. This, this prayer is called the Shema. We'll put the word up on the screen for you because it's a fun one, Shema. And, and it's an ancient Jewish prayer that, that for over a thousand years was the anchor of the, the Hebrew people. They would pray it three times a day and, and they would write it, the whole prayer out, on little scraps of paper that, that they would tie to their foreheads while they, they prayed in these things called phylacteries. And they would also take these same pieces of paper and they would tie it to the doorposts of their house. It marked every moment of their life. It was a significant thing to them. This prayer, if you're wondering what it is, is found in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6. You might recognize it. Like I said, it's called the Shema. And it's called the Shema simply, you know, a great naming convention. The way they decided what to call it, the first word in the prayer. You know, if you're wondering what to call something, there you go. That'll work. That's how I name most of our songs that we sing, much to the kind of dismay of our worship team. I'm like, can you do this song? They're like, that's not a song that we sing. I'm like, it's got those words in it. Like, lots of our songs have those words in it, right? That's why we have, yeah, anyway. It's, it's, it's called the Shema, and, and it goes like this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Hear, that's the word Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, now this word Shema, hear, is, is kind of hard to translate into English because the closest that we have is, is hear. 
is, is listen, but it, it's, it's more than that. In Hebrew, the concept is bigger. It doesn't just mean to hear. It means to, to hear and do, to hear and obey. They would say you haven't shema, you haven't heard what God is saying if you just hear it and don't do anything with it. That, that part and parcel of hearing is action. That it's not just kind of a receiving and pondering, but you haven't actually heard if you don't do something with it. It's more than just receiving information, it's, it's, it's action. It could be translated as, as heed or, or listen. And I, I think of it in terms of the, the interaction sometimes I have with my kids. You might know what I'm talking about, right? When, when we talk to our kids and you ask one of them to do something and they don't do it. And, and, and you have kind of this moment where you say, look, I, you, you didn't listen to me. Like, no, no, I listened to you. I heard what you said. You asked me to do this. I'm like, you know, but you're telling me you listened to me, but you didn't do the thing that I, I asked you to, to, to do, right? They, they might have been aware of the words that I said. They, they might have even nodded their head and made eye contact. Sometimes even you'll get them to repeat back the thing that you're asking them to do, and, and they'll do that. They've heard the information, but they haven't done what you've asked them to do. So I don't feel heard. See, there's something here that, that communication is more than just the information going out. It's the information being received and, and acted upon. It's action. And so the Shema is God. It's Yahweh. It's the Father saying to his children, to the nation of Israel, listen to me and do what I'm saying. Obey me because there is life, there is blessing, there is goodness this way. And so because of this, the Shema early on in the, the life of the nation of, of Israel became the central prayer of the nation for over a thousand years. In fact, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the most com important commandment in all of Scripture, what did he do? He quotes the Shema. He quotes in, in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, he's asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Right? I know you're sharp. We just read this. What is that? It's the Shema, right? It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. He, he quotes the Shema. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he expands upon it. I'll, I'll speak more to this next week. But, but it, he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. See, what I'm saying is that for Jesus, listening and doing or obeying are central to a life of faith. You might have noticed I keep on saying hear and, and do, or hear and act, and occasionally I'll say hear and, and obey. I keep on giving an alternative word to obey, right? Like I'm like, hey, let's say this word, and then I'll dance away from it. It's because we don't like that word. Like obey, that sounds dogmatic, that sounds overpowering, that sounds instructive, that sounds potentially like, I just don't, don't tell me what to do. Give me some options. Like hear and do if you want to, if that's what you're feeling this day, then do that. We don't, hear and obey just sounds a little bit too kind of constrained, a little bit too black and, and white. We don't love, it goes against the grain of the kind of be true to yourself culture that we live in. The, the problem is though, is that central to hearing God is the weight that we give to his voice. See, if we're wanting to hear from God, I wonder if the first question we need to ask ourselves is what will we do with what we hear? If we're saying, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear what you, you have for me. What if, what if God asks us to do something that's not easy? What if God asks us to do something that's, that's not fun, that kind of doesn't fit in the plan that we had for our lives? See, a disciple is one who doesn't just hear Jesus' words, but, but follows them. 
who, who listens and is listening for Jesus' voice in order to go out and to obey it, to do what Jesus says. Think of where we were a, a few months ago in our commission series, which kind of started this whole, this whole series of talks. Right, we are commissioned the, the words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 19 to, to 20. We go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. See, following Jesus isn't just learning to hear the voice of God, it's learning to obey the voice of God. This idea of Shema is to hear and to do, to hear and to obey. And, and really, to do this, we need to believe, we need to come to trust that obedience is not an obstacle to a happy or fulfilled life. That what God has for us is, is, is not the bitter medicine that we need to, to simply just kind of get down, to get out of the way. It's not paying our dues on the way to get God to do the things that we want God to do. But that obedience in the way of Jesus is actually the path of life. It's not some sort of spiritual thing that we need to grin and bear and get through, but that maybe Jesus actually has life for us and the things that Jesus is calling us to do, the things that God wants to say to us are actually good things for us. That doesn't mean they're easy. Right, but what would it look like if maybe the first step in hearing God is to approach God, I wanna hear you and whatever you say to me, I wanna try and do that. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to do it. I'm not saying I'm going to have a 100% success rate on acting on my convictions, but I'm coming to you in position of, God, I want to do what you're saying. We, we could put it this way. The, the 16th century theologian Ignatius of Loyola, which if I just have one complaint about life, it's that we don't get like titles like John O'Brown of. It's just I would like that a lot. So if, you, if we could brainstorm one after the service and uh, start calling me that. I've got some great ideas. John O'Brown of the, the Great Walk. All right, I just think I'd, I'd just walk. Anyway, this is not Bible. We'll go back to Bible. So, let's hear what Ignatius has to say, right? Probably more important than John O'Brown's ideas of titles for himself. Ignatius of Loyola says, Sin is defined as unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my own deepest happiness. Let me say that again. Sin, he says, is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. See, see I think in, until we come to trust in the deepest part of our hearts that what God wants for us is only what is best for us, is only our deepest happiness, I don't see how we would actually desire to hear God's voice, much less obey it. In, in fact, I would suggest we won't want to know what God is saying to us if we think that maybe it's a bad idea. If we come to it as like, oh, I don't know, maybe we'll see but once we are convinced of God's good intentions towards us, the, the driving aim of our life will increasingly become to listen for His voice, not, not to control our lives, but to deeply surrender them. See, I say this in contrast to what I think is kind of a, a, a common approach to wanting to hear from God, which is when we come to a major decision in our life or we're scared of the future. All of a sudden, uncertainty hits us. And so often for many of us, that's the point where we're like, I wonder what God says. Right, like I had this all on lock. I was living my life. I was good. Things were going to plan. But now things are outside of my plan a little bit. And so I would like to get a, another perspective. Can I phone a friend? 
right? Like, God, hey, what do you think about the situation that I'm in? But, but really, it's kind of like, a, oh, no, what does God want? Really, it's not so much an attempt to listen and obey as it is. It's kind of an attempt at magic, an attempt to, to bypass pain, and it's an attempt to, to turn to the back of the choose-your-own-adventure book, figure out which way leads to the most kind of easy path, the most pleasant path where we avoid any sort of suffering and go, oh, that must be what God wants for me to do because that's the easiest way. Unfortunately, nowhere in Scripture does it say that the things that God wants us to do, the, the life that God has for us is going to be easy or pleasant. It says it's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be worthwhile. There's going to be a life that brings about goodness and truth and beauty into the world, but that's not always an easy thing. It wasn't for Jesus' disciples. It wasn't for Jesus. And throughout the course of history, I would suggest so often living a life of faith is not always the easy way to live, but it is a good way to live. It is a beautiful way to live. It is a fulfilling, a, a true way to live. When we sit at the feet of Jesus and listen, our, our goal isn't to get some sort of divine fortune cookie about which way our life will go to, to get a glimpse into the future. It's to follow our shepherd wherever he might leave. Maybe, maybe it's even when, like in Jesus' own story, we're called to, towards pain, towards our crosses, not away from them. To Shema, to listen and obey. And so maybe now, at this point, kind of 10, 15 minutes into the sermon, you're like, cool, Jono, start of the sermon, I thought I wanted to hear from God. Full honesty, less convinced now. Like maybe, maybe before I, I was like, yeah, how can I hear from God? That sounds good. I want to learn how to hear from God. Now I'm like, maybe I don't want to know how to hear from God. If, if it's not like lotto numbers and, and a divine life of, of pleasantness, maybe I would prefer to not hear from God, right? Like if, I'm, if I don't hear, he can't, I can do what the kids do and pretend that I didn't hear. You asked me to pick up my toys, so you can't be, I didn't hear you say that. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know what you were calling me to except for the fact that, that a life in the will of God is the best place to be. But I do want to be clear, you don't have to hear from God. God is not forcing his will upon you. God is not forcing a call upon you. God is not forcing you to do anything. God is simply saying there is life this way. There is life and death you can choose. Just like the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, only you have the words of life. Where else would we go? There is only life this way in the way that only God can bring because he is the author of life. And so if after all of this, you're still game, you're like, yeah, I think maybe I do want to hear from God. The question becomes, how? If after we realize that sometimes God's not going to tell us to do or ask us to do good things, that that hearing is not just hearing and getting a third opinion, but, but that actually hearing from God is hearing and obeying what he calls us to do. If on the back of all of that, we decide, yeah, I do want to hear from God. How do we hear from God? Because God doesn't have a body, right? Like he doesn't have vocal cords that, that make sound waves. And, and there's no kind of one size fits all formula for how to discern God's voice because God comes to each of us in the, in the contours, in the shape of our life. He speaks to us individually in, in, in unique ways in light of our personality and our background and our stage of life. In fact, I would suggest that, that you'll likely have already heard God way more than you realize. That like young Samuel in the, in the temple, you may not recognize it as God yet, but that God has been speaking to you throughout your life in more ways than you're expecting or are used to. And so today I simply want to try and provide a bit of clarity on the ways in which God speaks. 
If you're taking notes, I'm going to offer you five ways quite quickly that we can hear God's voice. The, the first and foremost, probably the most important, I would say, is we hear God in Jesus himself. The, the author of the book of Hebrews writes this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Just a small kind of statement there. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful Word. You know, all throughout the, the New Testament, Jesus is called the Word. Which again, if we're talking about kind of names, titles, like I don't want to take Jesus as one, John O'Brown, the Word, we'll stop workshopping it, right? Again, after the service, uh, if you've got a gift of title giving, come and talk to me, that's going to be fantastic. Uh, but that was funnier than you laughed. You've got to admit it, right? Maybe it wasn't. It's John O'Brown, the joke teller, is probably not the title. As modern Christians, we, we often refer to the Bible as the Word. Right? We're like, this is the word. And, and the reason that we refer to the Bible as the word is it's, it's stories about Jesus. Right? But when we read the word, the word, clunky way of saying that, in the Bible, when we read the word in the Bible, the phrase the word, it's generally not referring to itself for obvious reasons. It hasn't been written yet. It would be, be an impressive feat to refer to itself as a name that it has not yet been, been given. And it's, in fact, it's not usually referring to the Bible, this collection, this library of Scripture. It's referring to Jesus and the good news that he brings about the kingdom. See, hearing God's voice begins and ends with Jesus, with the Word. Not just the Bible as the stories about Jesus, but the revealed person of Jesus that we can know the Word. And all the other ways that God communicates comes through Jesus and point back to Jesus. Does that make sense? Whenever God speaks, it's through Jesus and it points back to Jesus. So just like we talked about last week, when we're praying in the character of Jesus, if we think about hearing from God and it's not in line with the revealed nature of Jesus, if we feel like we've heard from God, but it's, it's not loving or kind or merciful or gentle or patient or humble, or if it contradicts Scripture, can I suggest maybe it's not God? See, this is an important place to start because otherwise we open up ourselves to, to all of these ideas, all of these things that we hear. And we're like, is this God? Is this God? Often a good kind of meter to bring to it is, is this Jesus? If Jesus was standing in this room with me, is this something that Jesus would say? If it's not, it's probably not God. So God speaks through Jesus, and it is because of Jesus that we can hear from God in a way that is only available because of Jesus' work on the cross. And so all the rest of these points need to be understood in that, that this is Jesus speaking to us through these other things. So number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus uses God speaks to us through Scripture. Now, there are all sorts of ways to, to approach Scripture, but a long time ago, uh, monks who, who read a lot of Scripture, so they've got a kind of inside track on this, they developed one way that's especially designed to hear God's voice, and, and I think has stood the test of time. They called it Lectio Divina, which is simply Latin for, for spiritual reading. And it's essentially where you read a short passage of Scripture slowly and quietly and prayerfully, and you ask the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate a particular word or phrase or idea to speak to you. 
You say, God, how can you speak to me through this, this, this passage? And, and actually, as a bit of a kind of word of testimony, there's a great small group series by 24-7 Prayer in partnership with Right Now Media uh, called the Lectio Divina course that we've been doing uh, in, in our e-group the last couple of weeks. And, and if you're in an e-group and you're looking for a new series, I, I wholeheartedly recommend it, right? It's been, we're like two weeks in, uh, and, and it's awesome. Because this idea is, is big. It's not something we're going to tick off in, in one Sunday, go, yeah, we've got Lectio Divina. In fact, actually the best way to do it is to practice doing it together, to embrace a bit of the awkwardness, a bit of the outside of the normal way that you might read the Bible, but to develop some practices of spiritual reading, simply approaching the Bible and asking God to speak to you. And when we do this, we, we need to be mindful of a couple of things. We need to be mindful that, that number one, we're not manipulating the Bible, that we're not, we all know that friend, right, who's made up their mind about what they want to do. And then they ask you for advice. Like, should I dye my hair purple? You're like, mm, I don't think so. They're like, yeah, I reckon I should. Thanks for, I reckon you agreed with me just then. You're like, I feel like I didn't. They're like, thanks. I feel like, yeah, if you're backing me on it, it's a great idea. You're like, I feel like I did everything but back you on it. But okay, you do you, right? Like, go and, and uh, you know, it's your hair, it'll grow back. And they go and do it. That's not the way to read the Bible. Like, hey, I've got my mind made up. This is the thing that I want to do. And uh, can I make the Bible tell me it's a good thing to do? The answer is yes, you can. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You are a talented individual. But that's not the best way to read Scripture. And so we need to be mindful that we're not reading something that we want it to say or that we're allowing someone else to misrepresent the Bible to us. Right, Just because someone is quoting scripture and verse to you does not mean that they are representing the Bible well. And so we need to understand, hey, that's actually out of context in that passage, or that's not really what that says, or you're saying something and it makes sense, but it's not in line with the revealed nature of Jesus. Maybe we just need to simply be aware that the way that the devil tried to tempt Jesus in the desert was quoting scripture to him. So not every time scripture is quoted to us does it mean that it is the lived, imbibed, breathed word of God. There needs to be a bit of discernment there. Is that all right? Just like a, a warning, this way be danger. And we're also, we're not asking for new meaning. Like again, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but if you've opened the Bible and you've read something and you're like, in thousands of years of history, I'm the first person to realize that this passage means this, you are more likely, it's less likely that you've found some innovative way of reading the Bible and more likely that you're accidentally committing heresy. Again, like maybe not, Maybe you're the one in a million chance, and that's awesome. Let's talk about it. But if no one else has found it in all of the thousand years of church history in which people have been prayerfully submitting themselves to Scripture, maybe if you found a brand new thing, it's not actually new. It's just wrong. Now, the difference there is I'm all the time finding things in the Bible that are new to me. I'm like, this is an amazing idea. I am so incredible. I'm incredibly innovative. And then I'll read some commentaries, and I'll be like, and other people have already come up with this. And that's a good thing. But hey, actually, there's a weight of church history and thought behind me. People smarter than me have thought about this for longer than I have, and they've landed in this place that we follow a, a, a good consensus, right? And so this way of reading the Bible, this, this Lectio Divina of spiritual reading, God, what are you saying to me, has become kind of a, a megaphone to God's voice for countless followers of Jesus throughout the ages. Now, a lot of, of Christians, a lot of people stop here. They're like, yeah, I got Jesus, and then I got the Bible, and, and that's me. I'm done. That's all I need. I want to say those are great things to have, but that's not done. 
Honestly, I think many Christians at least live as if a long time ago, God said a whole bunch of really important things and people wrote them down, but ever since heaven's been silent. And I want to say, while we believe that the canon is closed, meaning that we're not writing new books of the Bible, again, if we're looking for heresy, if someone's like, I found a new book of the Bible, warning, that's not a good thing, right? We're not, re- we're not introducing new things in, into the Bible, but heaven is anything but silent. We can see this in Scripture, that God, whose first recorded act in all of Scripture was to speak the universe into existence, is still talking. Whose son, Jesus, said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. We see it when God sent the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and immediately, what did it do? It caused his church to begin to prophesy, to speak on his behalf. That God is still speaking. And so let me offer you just uh, three more ways that I believe that God does that. The third way, if you're taking notes, that we hear God's voice is, is through our desires. One of the ways that we discern God's voice is by listening both carefully and critically to the desires of our heart. You know, much of secular culture tells us things like, be true to yourself and just follow your heart and, and it will lead to happiness. But at best, this is a, a half-truth. The writers of the Bible have a much more sophisticated and and complex way of viewing desire. They tell us that the heart is complex, that the heart is full of both beauty and ugliness, that it's full of both light and shadow, that, that some of our desires left unchecked would lead us over a cliff into ruin, that not everything that we want to do is good for us, and we need to be mindful of that. But we need to not go too far that way to be like, anything that I want to do is horrible. So I'm only going to do things that I don't want to do. I don't like eating Brussels sprouts, so it must be God's will for me that the only thing that I'll eat for the rest of my life is Brussels sprouts. That is an overcorrection. Enjoy Brussels sprouts if you enjoy them, right? Anyway, I was going to give you a Brussels sprout recipe. But again, after the service, John O'Brown, the Brussels sprout cooker, could be another title. We need to be mindful that we don't write off all desire. Right, that we don't say if I, if there, there are desires in us that are actually God at work deep in our hearts. They're God-given desires. I found a helpful way to think about this is the link between design and desire. Right, like a, a bird wants to fly because it's been made to fly. A fish wants to swim because it's been made to swim. And so often the things in us that we, we want, that we desire, are actually reflections of the things that God has made for us. And that's to be celebrated. The, the trick is to, to sift through the brokenness in us and find a way to express those desires in ways that bring about more of good in the world. And one of the ways that we can do this is to work through it well in community, working things through together. And again, we come back to Jesus. All of this is through Jesus, right? Are your desires loving and kind and merciful and gentle and patient and humble? Or, or maybe it's the way in which your desires are expressed, It's a good desire to want to provide for your family. But if the way that that desire is expressed is, I'm just going to have to smash everyone else at work. Just, I'm going to have to belittle them. I'm going to have to go over top of them. I'm going to have to do nasty things to make my way so that I can better provide for my family. Then that is a good desire expressed in an unwise way. And so we strike that balance that not every desire is good, that not everything that I want to do is an innately good thing to do, and that we can act on good desires in unwise ways, but also that God speaks through desire, that the things that our heart longs to do are not innately evil, and so we don't ignore them. The fourth way that we hear from God is is prophecy. God speaks to us through one another. 
in the New Testament, this, this falls under the umbrella of, of the prophetic, but prophecy is not kind of primarily predicting the future or pronouncing judgment like we might see in the Old Testament. Most of prophecy that we live in now is, is what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3. It's, it's things that are strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Prophecy, I think, can be kind of seen as like a, a super spiritual, mystical thing for the, the super Christians. Like, you know, the super keen Christians, they're the ones who prophesy. Everyone else is like, that's a bit scary. And I want to acknowledge, like, it's not unscary, right? Like, I'm not like, no, it's super easy. It's totally fine. It's a scary thing to do. Like, it's a nervous thing to be like, I'm kind of speaking on behalf of God in this moment. And again, I don't know if this is me or if this is God. And what happens if this person, like, acts on this and then their whole life's messed up? Is that my fault? Like, I feel a, a lot of weight here. But often prophecy is much more simple than, than we make it to be. Often it's as simple as kind of just simply opening our, our imagination to God before you pray over a person and waiting to see if a word or a phrase or a line from the Bible or a picture or maybe even like a, a short film begins to play in your mind's eye and then simply offering that to the person as a possible word from God. And I really just want to give weight to that word possible. Like we are broken, fallible humans. I don't know about you. I do not have a direct line to God. I'm not getting everything right all the time. That's why it's important to live in community, to mull things over, to work things through. So when we are saying, hey, I think God is saying this. I think that God might be saying this to you, that we're saying, not God definitely said, not thus saith the Lord, you must act on this, but hey, I think God might be saying this to you, that they can then take it, they can receive it, they can test it against Scripture, against the revealed nature of God in Jesus and in community. And I say all this because for me, this type of prayer, this prophecy has been instrumental in my life. Right? I cannot explain to you my life without referencing moments in which God has spoken to me through other people. Finally, the, the other side of prophecy that I want to talk about, this is my, my final point, in which we can hear God, and it's full circle in this series on prayer, is listening prayer. Listening prayer is simply waiting quietly for God to speak into your mind or heart. And the reason that we believe in this is because the Holy Spirit is within you. God has direct access to your inner life. You know, I love this quote. I shared it before the service with some of the team. Just a few years or a few months, in fact, before her death, Mother Teresa did a rare TV interview. And, and she's on, uh, uh, I think it was 60 Minutes, and she's giving this interview. And at one point in the interview, the, the journalist asked her, when you pray to God, what do you say? And her response was quite simply, I don't say anything. I listen. See, now I'm, I'm not saying, I want to be very clear, we've spoken for the last number of weeks about talking to God. Talking to God is, is important. I'm not saying that we don't do that, but I am saying how do we hear from God? And, and I'm suggesting that maybe sometimes we need to let Him get a word in edgewise. That prayer is not us just simply talking to God, it's also prayerfully creating space to hear from Him. And I think people often wonder, like, why doesn't God speak more more obviously. Like if, if God wants to say something to me, why doesn't, why doesn't an angel just appear? Or why doesn't a, a voice just kind of boom audibly? And there's not a simple answer to that question. But, but last week I talked about receiving a gift that a part of receiving a gift is the blessing of, of receiving it. The part 
a part of the blessing of a gift is the, the blessing of receiving it. And I think there's an aspect to that, that in creating space for God's voice, in, in seeking Him, we're actually more blessed than if He just wrote something in the sky. That there's something in the, the reaching out and taking, the reaching out and pursuing. But, but another reason is that God doesn't have to. Like, Jonah, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? God has direct access to our mind and, and our imagination. Go with me for a second here. I, I'm, I'm almost done. This gets a little bit conceptual, but, but I think it's helpful. Th- think about this. What is communication? Right? When we communicate, what are we trying to do? However we might communicate with, with words, with writing, whatever it might be, what we're trying to do is move an idea from our minds into someone else's. Communication at its most kind of essential aspect is it's guided thought. You're trying to get someone to think the thoughts that you are thinking. Let me put it this way. Close your eyes for a moment and imagine a sunset. Now, what's in your mind right now? Hopefully a sunset, if you listen to me. <laughs> and, and, and for all of us, it's going to be different. For some of us, it, it, it might be a picture of a sunset. For some of us, it might be a memory of a sunset. For some of us, it might be a film of a sunset kind of playing in our mind. For some of us, it's just simply the word, sunset. There's no right or wrong way to, to receive that idea. But, but as I said an idea, as I said a word, this idea has moved from my mind into yours. By listening to me, you're trusting me to guide your mind, which is a little bit creepy when you think about it that way. Open your eyes. No more guiding your mind. See, I'm, I'm making this point because God doesn't need to speak in an audible voice to guide our minds. He can go directly. God can simply pop a thought into your mind or, or drop a feeling into our hearts or, or move our desires by His Spirit. And so we often have a thought come to mind. We think, is that God? No, no, it can't be. It's just in my head. Of course it's in your head. Your head is, is where ideas are, are, are formed and, and where emotions are created and, and, and thoughts are born. All of life is in our head. All of life is an experience of, of how we see the world. And, and now all of our thoughts must be like prophecy. They must be tested and, and weighed to determine their source. But the truth remains that God can and will speak directly into our, our thought life. One more example would be Alexander Graham Bell's invented the telephone. He's got a friend who's got this brand new invention he's made. He wants to talk to them. Is he like, I'm going to write them a letter? No, everyone else has to write a letter. But Alexander has a telephone, and so he can pick up the telephone and he can go past the the limitations that everyone else is at. He can pick up what he invented and call a friend. And, And in the same way, why would God speak just simply audibly to us when he could guide our thoughts into his word and to his will? And now, of course, like, like Elijah in the cave in 1 Kings 19, most of us will experience God's voice as a still, small voice, not a deafening yell. The Hebrew phrase here in 1 Kings can be translated as a gentle whisper or even the sound of gentle silence. And, and because of this, it's really important in developing our prayer life that as we learn to hear God, we learn to quiet our mind and body. If you're anything like me, your, your mind is jumpy and distractible and prone to anxiety and anger. And the world that we live in is, is more and more what C.S. Lewis called a kingdom of noise. We're exposed to more information, more advertisements, more stuff in a week than people were in an entire lifetime 100 years ago. 
And if in all of that, God is a still, gentle, loving whisper, we need to intentionally create space to hear, to learn to quiet the outer and the inner noise and to sit before God and wait for His voice. See, my point, if you remember nothing else today, is simply this. In prayer, we are learning not just to speak to God, but to listen to God, to hear His voice, but not just hear, to hear as it is in the Hebrew concept, to shema, to hear and to obey. Like I said, I'm, I'm done. But the last thought I want to leave you with is, is this idea of discernment. Because all of these ways of listening to God require what, what the New Testament calls discernment. And discernment is quite simply the ability to sift through ideas and events and thoughts and feelings and clearly see what is my own imagination. Or, or, or even worse, what is my flesh or what is sin? What is evil? What is the deceiver warping my desires and thoughts? And what is God's voice coming to me? And I think so often we, we struggle to hear God's voice or we're worried about trying because we're worried about getting it wrong. And in a, a good way of, you know, we're not always gonna get it perfect, that's fine. But, but going to it with the, the best chance we can is to, to learn how to hear God's voice. And the, the way that we learn how to hear, it's, it's a skill that we develop over time and something that we do in community. That when we're like, I think God said this in community, people will be like, no, no, that's, that's not in line with the revealed nature of God. But again, growing in discernment and with it, our ability and our willingness to hear Jesus' voice, it's a central part of following Jesus. We started with, with John 10 and later in that same passage, Jesus says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so as practically as possible, how do we grow in the ability to discern Jesus' voice from all the other voices in our lives? It's quite simple. The same way that we learn anyone else's voice, by listening to it. It will be confusing at first. It'll be hard to tell. We'll be sifting it through. We'll have to take it in community. But, but just as you learn the, the voice of your friend or the voice of your spouse or a parent, uh, his voice is learned by a, a baby. It's, it's learned by long hours of, of listening. And, and our minds start to come to recognize the voice of someone that we know. Think of that saying, I'd know that voice anywhere. And so my encouragement to you is this week, create a space in which you can quiet your mind and and listen for the voice of God. Don't put any conditions on it. You're not saying, I need to hear this from you right now. You're just saying, God, I'm creating some space, some availability. Set a timer on your phone. Don't touch your phone until the timer goes off. It doesn't have to be long. Other thoughts will come and go. That's fine. Let them, acknowledge them, and turn your mind back to Jesus. But, but also go into this knowing that hearing God's voice takes more than a quiet mind, but also a surrendered heart. The Shema is to hear and obey. And so why would we expect God to speak to us if we're not gonna heed his voice? And so listen with an open and a surrendered heart. And so to finish the service today, we're gonna sit in silence with God just for a minute, maybe two, to create a space in which we say, God, I'm listening. And it might feel like a long time. You will have other thoughts come into your mind. Acknowledge them. Oh, I'm, not, I'm just trying to focus on God. Maybe you just want to repeat just Jesus to yourself. Whatever it takes to bring your mind back, to press in and create a space. And my encouragement is quite simply to do this at least one other time this week. Because the simple but not easy answer to how do we hear the voice of God is by listening. By intentionally creating a space of practice. God, I'm listening for you. What are you saying? We discern whether it's the voice in community with other people going through the things we talked about. 
but we learn to hear by listening. Why don't you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sit for a minute in silence. God, we come to you today and we want to hear from you. God, thank you that because of the the cross, we we can draw close to you. And so today we, we create space to, like Mary, sit at your feet and listen. We bring surrendered hearts and and surrendered minds. We want to hear you and and we want to obey. And so, Jesus, you invite us. Anyone who has ears, let him hear. God, we want to hear. And so we create space to listen. Amen. Just a minute, let's listen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.